You're listening to Fair Game with your host, Robert Smith. Hey, folks, welcome back to the podcast. I'm Robert Smith, your host. I'm happy to have you listen to the Fair Game podcast today. I hope you're continuing to enjoy these episodes as we are very much con- uh, enjoying continuing to bring them to you. We got a great guest today. Today's guest is one of many service members throughout our industry that brings smiles to the faces of fairgoers throughout the country. And like so many of us in 2020, quite frankly, his business was decimated, having lost 47 of 47 events. He's based out of Jackson, New Jersey from Hot Dog Pig Racing. This is David Feimster. David, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So uh, I see you're in Jersey. You're, you're based out of Jackson, New Jersey. That's down near Tom's River, yeah? Yes, it's, it's uh, just in back of uh, the Tom's River area. Terrific. I was, uh, you know, I was born in Somerset County. My, my whole family comes from New Jersey. Mom was born in Somerset. Dad was born over in Mercer County. But my far- parents moved us out west when I was probably about a year old. And it's, I'm guessing, it's been 30 years since I've been back in New Jersey. Like I was saying before the, the recording started, the last time I was that close uh, was the year, a few years back when I did the Maryland State Fair and I drove up to Philadelphia and I could just look across the river and see my home state. It was right there. Um, and listen, it's great to have you on the show. Tell us a little bit about hot dog pig racing. Hot dog pig races is a pig racing show with a combination of pig races and wiener dogs. It's my... You got wiener dogs in the show? Oh, I've got wiener dogs. Oh, yes. Pigracing.com. Get you to the to a video of them racing down the track. <laughs> That's lit. I love it. Keep going. You know, um, it's this whole industry. You have to learn to change with it and change with the world. I mean, if you my start in this business was actually in games. My grandparents had games in Seaside. I grew up. I, Started working for them back, oh, about 1965, working the games. Bought the, when I was in college, I bought the games from them. Then the landlords decided that there was a fire down there, and the landlords got really greedy and forced us out of, out of there. So off to the fairs I went. And in the meantime, I was graduated from Trenton State as an industrial arts teacher, and I was teaching wood shop, metal shop, and jewelry making. So what do you do? You start selling jewelry at the fairs and making different types of jewelry, engraving um, saddle mm. plates, bridal plates for the horse shows. And my first fair that I ever did was the Sussex County Farm and Horse Show. I actually never been to a fair before that, strangely mm. enough. And I found the fairs, decided it was a good place to be. You know, at that point in time, um, started working the different fairs and was developing a nice, nice, nice route through up here in the Northeast. Um, and I had four kids. So what do you do? You have to expand. Right. And at that, I started building what I call educational backend shows. The first one was in Australia with wallabies, kangaroos, and, uh, different, uh, animals from Australia. And then, you know, you got to build a reptile show, of course. And that started that. And what got me into the actual entertainment end of it was sitting at that fair, probably 10 years later. And it's a hundred and five hundred and eight degrees is that all <laughs> throughout the course of the week and anybody that knows a fair if you if it's over 100 degrees you might as well it might as well be raining harder than ever because yeah no coming out and the only person that was making any money was the entertainers that were sitting right behind me so my son <laughs> my son and i started brainstorming what could we do for a show the craziest and stupidest thing that we could come up with was skunk races. And we developed drag racing stinkers and we race skunks that following. I went and bought a couple of skunks, never knew how to train an animal in my life other than with a dog and learned how to teach skunks to race down a drag strip track and did That's that insane. for many- You race skunks? Yep. Skunk racing. Go to skunk race. I still leave the website up at uh, skunkrace.com just because it's, you know, something that I've done over the years. And you say this, the kid that helped me, my son who helped me do this, still is in the business of creating crazy and stupidity. He's the one that creates all the crazy stuff for let's make a deal. He produces all these onks for them. Okay. Okay. 
So that tells you where my, my family has gone in their life, lifestyle. Um, at that point in time, I started running, doing shows out on the fairgrounds. And there was a couple of pig racers out during that time. And there was an older gentleman, one of the original pig racers was a gentleman by the name of Merle Mills. He's okay. out of Montgomery County, Maryland. And he was an old timer. And basically what it came down to is, you know, he said, they would say to him, you want me next year? Yep, I'll be there. Never had a piece of paperwork, did a piece of paperwork in his life. And, and I'd be on one end of the fairgrounds, which was great. I'd do a show, he'd do a show, and people would race back and forth from one end of the fair to the other to see this. Well, unfortunately, um, he had a stroke in the fall, um, just before the Dixie Classic in, uh, in Raleigh, North Carolina. But all the fairs up here in the Northeast had no idea that it happened. So the next summer comes along, they were expecting pig races, and he's not coming. He, they don't find out to it. So one fair didn't find out until the week before. So the first fair calls me and goes, can you help me out? Because I, I was already going to be there doing the, the skunk races. And they go, can you help us out with the pig races? And I go, no. Second one calls <laughs> And I go, no. You know, I'm doing, I'm doing this. When the third one calls, I said, this is stupid. That would have to be the Fleming, the old Flemington at the old Flemington Fairgrounds. Yeah. And I said, let me see what I can do for you. Went back to the house, put a trailer together, got a bunch of pigs, and off we went to the fair and did skunk races and pig races for them. And that put me into the pig racing business. And like I say, you have to change with times. And that's the way life goes, you know? Okay. Um never know and that was suey pig races and they done their thing um and then i was building calliope wagon and went and i went out to lancaster and oh this is probably around 19 or oh, 2004 around there no it's around 2003 um and to buy the harnesses and the wagon wheels and all that stuff to build this calliope wagon and i pulled into a place to ask directions to find because that's pre-gps and all that kind of thing and in front of me was this little sign that said minister doxes and something in my brain said that would be funny Wiener <laughs> dogs Wiener <laughs> dogs okay i tucked okay. it away and summer came the wagon was out and along with the regular pig so we pick races and things like that and that fall um the bird flu started coming through mm. and part of my pig show was back in those days was pigs and duck races. All right. And sweet pig and ugly pig races. And we always call the, the ducks, ugly pigs and just drive the little kids nuts. And so the ducks, I, ugly pigs. <laughs> I Love went, it. Love it. My wife was in Arizona visiting the kids. I went and found a, a miniature dachshund out in Western Pennsylvania, brought him home in uh, November started working with him, play with him, headed to the trade shows with this miniature dachshund and telling the fair managers that I was going to do pig races and wiener dogs and sold the show out that year. Okay. And so henceforth, hot dog pig races. And that's 17 years ago doing the, with the wiener dogs and the pig races that way. So you've been doing it for 17 years. With the wiener dogs. I've been doing the uh, pig races now for going on 30 years. Okay. Wow. But the winter dogs, yeah, my oldest dog is 17 years old. So I know, you know, pretty much when we started this, <laughs> he's That's retired. We, we, he wasn't going to go out this year, but we were going to, we were still going to let him, uh, you know, go, go with us, but he wasn't going to do any part of the show. Um, and then I've kind of gotten the ducks out because again, the, 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 we had a bird flu come through there. I put uh, goats into the show and I, and I built a track for the sewage unit um, with a racetrack that's eight feet up in the air for the goats to race. Or they call it, you know, sweet flying pigs. And they go racing up and around and over the tops of the, everything and so forth. And that's what I've been doing now until pretty much this year. This year comes along. And, and you, all that changes. Everything stops. You know, you first think, okay, we're probably not going to be able to do anything until, you know, Memorial Day. Memorial Day comes and maybe 4th of July. Then Labor Day, after Labor Day, Labor Day is coming. All the pumpkin patches are canceling. Everything is just canceling one right, you know, right. all the way through. And so what I did was I took the 12 goats that I had and 
I decided let's start sending them out and clearing brush prior uh, poison ivy and, and some uh, fire breaks with them. And that's what we did all summer. We, I've gone from 12 goats to 40 some odd goats right now. We're, they're going out clearing brush, briars, uh, poison ivy. They and just that, go eat. They just go chomp it all up. You put up, you know, you put up your fencing and so forth. Again, this is all, like I said, you've got to be able to change and move. You can't just say, oh, oh yeah. well, I'm done. Well, find something. You know, there's yeah. always something out there that you can do. And I've always been that way. Sure. And, and well, I always say clear that you've been that way. I mean, when you consider the fact that you started with some pigs and then you were like, hey, let's add dogs and then they, or let's do skunks and let's do goats. I got to tell you, as you're telling me the story, I, you know, I, I work in Florida a lot and, and, and I see some of the racing pigs going around, you know, I, sure. Rosaires is around a lot that I work Ro with. Rosaire, and, Robinson and Chase. Yeah, for there. sure. For sure. And, and I just, I look at this and I got to be honest with you, David, if I was a pig and I'm sitting at the starting gate and you kick that gate open, I wouldn't move. I just sit there and be like, I'm cool. I'm good. They can go run. I'll, how do you train animals like that to run the circuit? Ah, the same way I trained kids in school. You bribe them. <laughs> you just teach them enough that, that if they get around there and they know that there's some snack waiting at the end of that thing for them. What we do is we take the food, and I don't do, there are some do various, there, everybody has their own little ending to it, you know, in a race. And, you know, some give them uh, Oreos or whatever, and we don't do that. I always say we don't give our pigs junk food in that, in that sense there. But what I do is we teach them sounds and pigs are extremely intelligent. And so what happens is when they come out of that trailer into the starting gate, as soon as they're locked in, we take a handful of feet and just bounce it off the wall in their mm. pen inside. And they hear that. And so as soon as I open that gate up, all they're doing is going over there to get food. The same as if I got a teenager kid in school that we want them to do something you, know, you got a Jolly Rancher. That was the way to get them to go do just about got anything. Got it. So they hear the food, and they they just all you do is train them that in order to get there, they got to run in a circle to get to it. They got to run the circle. Yep. There's and is it the same with when you're training a skunk and a wiener dog and all that? Like you say, I had no idea what I did with those skunks. Was that was actually crazy? I got this. I got the skunks. <laughs> Here I am. Got them in my kitchen. These little baby skunks are six weeks old. And I'm trying to figure out how to get them to, to chase after food. I mean, I laid that set up a little wire fence and I started, you know, putting some chicken on a, on a fishing end of a fishing line, drawing it back and so forth and trying to get them to follow it and things. Eventually what I ended up doing was because it was a straight track, it was drag racing. Got it. it was two dunks running side by side would be to take. And at the end of the track was a, because skunks are like are nocturnal and they like to go into a hiding spot, into a hole and so forth. And so what I would do is take them out of this box, put their box at the other end. But you start out with the, uh, the outside the box and you put, put a grape inside or a piece of uh, chicken inside the box and you leave five feet away from the box. They go and get it. Take them back 10 feet, 20 feet. Now you're 50 feet back. You open the box up, man, they're running down there to get their snack. That's all. That's it. And you just, so you train them to run 50 feet by starting at five feet. And then starting at five, just probably one foot, foot, five foot, and then 10 feet, sure. 20 you just work your way back. How many animals do you travel with? When I tra each unit travels with eight pigs and five dogs. Okay. Eight pigs, five dogs. Good yes. Dog. And then, Great. or, or like I say, I, I run, I'm getting older. So I'm down basically now down to two units and, you know, so the, the, the uh, Sui unit only goes out when I have overlaps like this year coming up, we'll have, you know how fares move from one to another and every year you get one fare or so forth that'll overlap and so we still send that out or we send that out to a pumpkin patch um that one carries the eight pigs and uh and uh four uh goats with them at that time right that's impressive man what i'm curious what kind of regulations do you face when you're traveling over state lines when you're taking animals with you everything i mean everything especially in and out of new jersey and, and i'm honestly, guessing you, know, you gotta understand we're a dying breed those of us that do work animal shows if you you're out on the road there are not very many new young people actually getting into the business of doing an animal show <clears throat> excuse me because 
it's just not one of my kids are involved in, in, in the industry. I mean, they've all gone off on their own ways and been very successful in it. But the point is working with animals is a very difficult thing. You've got your state regulations, you've got your state health, your, your county and state health departments, you've got the Department of Agriculture, you've got the USDA, and all of those licenses have to be maintained along with all the regulations. And, and every, it changed, they change by some, I always joke in this industry, you know, people go to work, you know, your week changes by the, the month or they get your schedule and so forth. Some places it changes by the week. In this industry, it changes by the hour. It literally changes life. I can okay. imagine. So, yeah. So that keeps you busy dealing with all that paperwork, I'm, I'm guessing. Um, when, now, when you're on the road, you said you have two units now. Um, is it just like you and your wife that are on one and you hire somebody for another? Or because or, you I said have, none of your uh, family, none of your kids are involved. None of my kids are involved. I have two individuals that tra- travel with the, other, with the other unit and my wife will go with me. Or my grand- uh, grandchildren. I do have my grandchildren. The, the girls are, are starting to come out and I got one, you know, it's, it's 11 years old. And when she's out with me, I step, I, I become number two to the, to the show. Instead of being out in the ring doing the being ringmaster, I get to handle the animals in the back in the trailer. She handles the whole show. At eleven. At eleven. Actually, she her, started. At, it's in at her 10. blood. It's in her blood. Yeah. That's how it is. Yeah. So maybe there yeah. is a young up and coming. Maybe there is a you know some hope for the future of pig racing. I yeah I, I say I I don't see them doing it you know forever you know again between animal rights activists the laws regulations and things like that again we're a dying breed i mean we're we're like a dinosaur eventually we it comes to an end sadly i think you're right it the the animal rights groups have become real difficult to deal with and that's just for me uh, sitting on the outside you know looking in to the animal um animal acts I feel, you know, I feel for the the pig racers and the sea lions and the, you know, Carla out and with Pacific Animal Productions out west and all the animals that she sure. has. She made a great pivot though. You know, we had her on the uh, on an episode. I think it was back in December. She made a great pivot where she switched over to using uh, using bugs and created the bugology exhibit where um, she's still able to do kind of the same. In theory, it's the same thing she's done previously, but now she's using, you know, scorpions and centipedes and creepy crawlies. And that seems to have hopefully bought her some time. Um, yeah. But it, not everybody can make that that adjustment quite as easily as she did. Um, you know, let's let's get to the the real meat of this here. 2020, we talked touched on it briefly. Take us back to that. Your your mid-March um, entire event industry goes off the rails. You know, South by Southwest cancels, Houston cancels, Miami Dade literally gets canceled like 11 <laughs> minutes before they're about to open their gates. Exactly. What's going um, through your mind as all these cancellations start to roll in? I look at them and you say it, I say, I, I usually, I, I'm different than most of the um, entertainers and so forth. I pretty much take the winner off. Okay. Because I taught school for a long time, so winter like is, that was my uh, you know my time to, and that's why I, right now you'll find me on a mountain you know three or four days a week skiing right yeah. now. Um, but what happens is you look at it and I go again. I said, okay, this is going to come. It's going to April when we start our shows. We're going to lose these. Then I look at um, May, and in the meantime. You're spending money. You're spending a lot. Like I'm spending a lot of money each year, upgrading the equipment, maintaining the equipment, handling, taking care of the animals, and so forth. And it's nothing unusual. You, you know, the springtime, pretty much any concessionaire, any person going out on the road spends a lot of money getting ready for the season. You're bleeding money at that point in time. And, and like I say, when when I saw Memorial Day come and go, and I saw Fourth July come and go, um, that's when I said we got to start doing something. And that's when I started messing with the goats, and, and it was just kind of a, like a whim type thing. I posted some information about it, got a phone call for a job down in South Jersey, charged way too cheap, but I figured out I got I got to figure out how to do this. 
right. went down and cleared, cleared a massive amount of poison ivy out of a backyard. Then we took on, by the time I got that job done, another job popped up and then another one popped up. The goats only made it back to the farm for two days and from mid-July until the first week in November. So that kept us busy, you know, just, just basically it helped me make sure the people that helped me out throughout the rest of the years in the summer and so forth had something to do because you, those that ever have any employees or help, you don't want to lose help, a good help, because if you lose them, you never get them back. Right. That's the toughest thing. In, it does, you can ask anybody that owns any type of business or runs any type of event and so forth, finding that help and yeah. keeping. That's exactly you know. what Jimmy was talking about with Sea Line Splash when I had him on the show. He had another family that he trained a second unit with. They were ready to go with the show, um, just kind of put on the, the final touches on training them on how to run a unit. And then COVID hit, you know, yeah. and and they've moved on to something else now, which, of course, that's what they're going to do. No question about it. But now he's, you know, he spent all that time and money and effort to get them trained for nothing. Right. And um, that's not a shot at them. They had to do what they had to do. All of us are understanding of that. But it's no different with you. You get somebody trained and then you know, you get, yeah. a, you get something that hits and, yeah. and like COVID and what do you do about it? You know, when you reached out um, via email to say you wanted to come on the show and um, I knew when I saw what you did that I wanted to get you on the show just because um, just like I said with Jimmy, <clears throat> there's something unique about your act in that you've got animals. Um, performers like myself who have attractions that we can just stick in storage there's very minimal overhead, but you still got animals that are hungry. They need veterinary care. All these, their environment needs to be maintained. This is all overhead. And if you're not at a fair, that overhead does not disappear. Absolutely. So how do you manage that with, with so little revenue coming in? Well, like you say, I was bleeding money in the spring, but I was able to get enough to maintain it. This, I can say this is the first year in 40 years or so that the business that I've been involved in this entertainment industry that I've lost money. I've always made money. I've been very, like I say, careful with what I've done. I mean, the farm is completely paid off my ski house. I, my, as I call it my playhouse, like everybody has to have a playhouse. You know, I paid all that because I'm getting, I'm getting old. I'm like you say, I retired from teaching, you know, 45 um, so, isn't that old. Come on, Dave, 45 yeah. isn't that old. <laughs> yeah about 50 percent and a little bit yeah, about yeah, yeah. More than, you know <laughs> now, and actually at this point in time i could have retired i could have retired yeah you know and had i known it would be a probably a two-year thing i might have even pulled the plug you know down the road if, because i kept putting it off but enough but i like this industry i and again i'm to the point i don't have to do this i like this and and those of us that are out on the road, as one of the kids told his father, who's working for me, I had, like I say, the nice thing about teaching school was I always had a crop of kids coming up and, and I could choose who I wanted to help me work. When I retire from that, that's when the help started really getting tough. The one young gentleman was with me for 12 years until he went, you know, went from high school through college and started teaching in Chicago. And so I lost him. And we, we hooked his father into it to help me out. And he said to his father when his father talked to him that you'll do this job because you like it, not because you have to do it because you won't be on the road. You, I mean, the road, I mean, you're out there a hundred days, you know, that's the show days a year. Right. And, and that doesn't handle the travel. You know, fortunately our travel times, I was just figuring this year has been cut down substantially. I mean, there were times that we went from, I've been to California, you know, sent units to California. And again, we were supposed to go to set a job down to Mississippi to help out somebody. Um, but 95% of our work is here, right here in the Northeast from upper Virginia into upstate New York, into Pennsylvania, Connecticut, Mass, and Vermont, you know, mm -hmm. uh, the nice thing again, too, is probably 85% of the work that I do is rollover work. It's the, you know, the same fares. 
Burlington County, the county right across the river from Philadelphia County Fair. I've been with them for 35 years. Yeah. You know, doing one thing or another with them. You know, Sussex Fair, I started with them. We're actually back there with them. You know, a few years ago, we ended up going back to Sussex, which is now the New Jersey State Fair, you know. Um, you know, so you get a good rapport, and you know that you get a good rapport with the fair, you work well with them, and you develop a good reputation, and you do well. You know, if you don't, this is a short-lived business, because everybody in this business knows everybody, you know. You mentioned about, you know, uh, doing Maryland State Fair, all right, Andy Cashman, all right. I'm actually... I'm from New Jersey, but I'm uh, the associate director for Maryland State of Maryland uh, Fair Association. Oh wow! Okay, and I've been with Maryland. Maryland is like a home a home state for me with the with all the fairs that I do down there. Again, another a lot of the fairs that I've been with for many, many, many years. You know, so I've been involved with the Ocean County Fair, which is the hometown fair for for thirty probably thirty five years also. So it's you get that development that with the, the individuals and that's what makes it you know traveling you know, if you ask people why do they travel most of the time it's you like what you you have to like what you do as i said before me meeting the people enjoying the people and finding that local food yeah well that's you know, you know for me i love traveling i love u.s history whenever i'm out on the road and i've got you know a week in between shows you know years when i did maryland that year the jump that year was a little insane. I, I, I finished mid-August in Costa Mesa, California at the OC Fair. I drove to the Illinois State Fair in two and a half days. I did five days of the Illinois State Fair. And then I drove over to, to Baltimore uh, to go to Timonium and go do Maryland. That was a hell of a jump. But in the process, you know, I took that some time while I was out in Springfield in Illinois. And I got to go see all the Lincoln Memorial stuff and like that, mm -hmm. all that. That's just fantastic. It's one of the real benefits to being on the road. And like you say, the food, you know, I've been to some places and I've gotten some food and, and Becky Brashear, who's down at South Florida fair. Now, uh, Becky, with, I well, yes, I actually, I got to to her just shortly. Yeah. She's a, uh, you know, formerly she was with the Maryland state fair. She still flies that Maryland flag proudly. Um, even right. though, New, even though we, we always joke with each other, I always say New Mexico has got the better flag. Um, we go back and forth on each other with that, but she recommended some spots to go eat down in, in Baltimore that were right on the, on the Harbor and sure. the, crab, the crab cakes. Oh, oh yeah. You know, crab that's the type of thing where you open the menu and it's like a crab cake, $29. And you're like, what for a crab cake? And then they bring you this thing. That's like this massive uh, yes. amount of food. It's like, this isn't like a little crab cake. This thing is like a filet. And it is, it's the, oh my God, the food yes. there. The yeah, crab I, is delicious. I, I crab cakes all the time. It's, I always call it the little hole in the wall places. Yeah. You know, you find outside of the, uh, the uh, what do you call it? Uh, oh, fair right there in uh, York, Pennsylvania. There's a little yeah. diner, diner down the road. The food is amazing. Price is cheap. And, yeah. You know, and I found, the, and they had one of the best crab cakes. Now, where do you find a crab cake in, 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 York, Pennsylvania, but they had that there, you know, um, you go to the, you go to out and look for it. You know, obviously though, I don't well, go see, out and look. Your route, look your route so much up in the Northeast though. I mean, you got to get yourself down to like New Orleans, Lafayette, <laughs> Baton Rouge. You got to get some I've food down, down there. there. Yeah. Oh yeah. I've been down there. It is definitely, you know, talk about crazy jumps. I did Winchester, uh, Westminster, Maryland. Okay. Finished okay. there. It's, last show was at seven o'clock. On a on a Friday night, twelve o'clock show, Muncie, Indiana. We tore down, drove all night, set it back up, and this is because I had made a promise, made a commitment to uh, Westminster. They didn't come back with an answer. Didn't come back with an answer. So I took the job in Muncie, and then they turned around and said, "Yes, we want you." So, oh, no. <laughs> But I'm too old to do that now, you know. Oh yeah, that's, that's like and I'm only I'm only jump. 41, and I did that jump. I want to say four years ago, I was like 37 when I did that jump. But I did 28 and a half hours in two and a half days, and on the half day that Wednesday, I got in about 11 o'clock into Springfield and mm -hmm. set up and did four shows, four of my my Conjure Fortune Machine performances that day. I, I don't remember 
hardly any of it. I, I will never make a jump like that again because it flat out just wasn't safe to drive like that, you know, 28 yeah, and, hours and in two days. I'll give you the, you say, the jumps. You know, doing the Big E, all right? Now, we're doing the Big E with our, our uh, jewelry unit and so forth. And like I say, that was one of the, like I say, the premier shows that you want to get into. But I was still teaching. So I was commuting out of Jackson, New Jersey, up to Springfield all the time. Tear down mm-hmm. again at midnight. Drive. You can't. You, you did dare take one thing off the shelf before mid uh, 11 o'clock there. Tear down by 1 o'clock. Drive the five hours back to New Jersey. Get a shower. Go into the classroom. And <laughs> I'm just I know you guys listening, you can't see my eyes right now, but I'm imagining driving, making that drive from from Springfield to back down to Jackson. And this is through the New York Metro. There's yeah. no such thing as that's not a quick hour long drive. That's not oh, no. it's how that five works. Hours. It's five hours. I can do that. Yeah. That drive with eyes closed. Yeah. You know, and, you know, but again, I had good ki- kids that understood me. You know, they'd look at me and, and I always joked about it. I'd walk in on a day like that and go. Hey guys, you know the days that you don't really don't want to piss off your mom or dad. This is the day you won't want to do it to me. And they look at me and go, "Where'd you come from last night? <laughs> Where? How far did you drive? How, yeah, how far, far did you drive? drive? Where you been? You know. Yeah. But I mean, you know, it was you know you have you learn to develop good relationships, and that's part of whether it's this industry teaching or any other industry, you have to develop that relationship with the people that you're working with. Yeah, you sure do. You know? it's interesting to me, you know, when you sent the email in, I I did some little background research on you just to kind of make sure I knew who you were. And uh, it occurred to me that for all the conventions that all of us go to for all the fairs we end up performing at, I don't think you and I have ever crossed paths. I don't think so either. You know, they say, I don't think we've crossed paths. And they say, um, and I've done, you know, a a ton of trade shows. I mean, I've gotten now down to, again, I'm down to just doing a, a few, trade shows you know i do maryland i do uh, connecticut mass uh new york pennsylvania you know but so i mean you do, I used, st- you do state or regional you don't do like ife or florida or anything like that i tried that years ago when i was first got into this and the problem i was having was i'd already started developing a decent route and higher 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 and i'd only have two weeks here open or what this week open and i got offers in Utah, <laughs> it, I was, New Mexico, yeah, Hawaii. I mean, they were great yeah. offers, great things to do, but there was just no way, you know. I tried, like I say, I tried to stay east of the Mississippi just just to keep my life sane. You know, when I first started, I was poor doing this business because I got pushed out of seaside. I was poor there. Yeah. I would, you know, to. 200 miles was all I really wanted to go because that way that's four hours. If I broke down, somebody could come get me. When you get 10, 12 hours away, nobody can come get you or they're not willing to come get you. You know, you're on your own. You're on your own. And you know, and that's in this industry, you have to protect one another or help one another totally because there's nobody else out there is going to help us. You know, we have to help ourselves and take it. I always say, when I got into this business, I talked to people and that anybody's coming into this, you need to talk to people. And those of us that are in here need to talk back because that's the only way to learn. There is no, there's no guide to this. There is no guide, you know, and I joke with some of the fair people and so forth. You know, if you, I've got a wealth of basically useless knowledge to most people. You know, you gather this information. That's, you've that's got it. Most you've of us, as, most and, of us as entertainers, do that. <laughs> you know, you've got that information in your head. Now, what are you going to do with it? You know, keep it to yourself so you think that you're protecting your job and your no. Teach, teach these people, other people. That's what helped me. So, you know, you know, a fair once looking for something. If I can't do it myself, I call up one. You know, I've been in a trade show. And behind me, Zeke Oler, which represents Rosair Racing, uh, Racing. Okay, the comp- direct. Comp- and to me, he's the direct competition up here. You know, and he's got. They've got a fabulous, fabulous show. Yeah. All right. And so, I'm standing there, and the fairs coming over to me, going, "Can you do this?" No, I'm booked. I know. I, I was only looking for like one week or two weeks. By the time I got to New York, so I pulled the curtain back. Zeke, 
Does Wayne got, you know, why not? Why not that's, give it to well, somebody that? That's where I'm at, you know, especially if it's a quality act, you know, if yeah. for a number of years, when we brought the Conjure Fortune machine into the market in, in 2011, December, 2011, it debuted at, at IEFE. When we did that, um, it's to the best of our knowledge. And, and I came in with triangle talent and Mark Sparks at that point, And the best of his yeah. knowledge, there was nobody in the industry that was doing a live action fortune machine. And so it was, it was. Ah, I, I, now I figure out. Okay. Yes. Okay. Now you're, you're like, now I know who he is. <laughs> now I know who he is. So, All right. So we get out there and, uh, and we do the fortune machine we do it for a number of years. And then a couple of years ago, um, Robert Nash, who, is the uh, the De Niro impersonator? Um, I guess he ran into. I guess De Niro himself, the real guy, ran into some issues and wasn't quite so um, um, so, <laughs> so popular. And so Robert was like, uh, "What am I going to do? Because I can't just go." You know, I guess De Niro had said something off color or something that on Twitter. I don't know, and he got in trouble for it. And so um, I guess he had previously, and I didn't realize this, had been doing a character called De Niro and De Niro knows all, or De Niro in the box, something like that. And it was basically a fortune. It was Robert De Niro as a fortune teller, which okay. I think is clever as hell. I didn't realize sure. he was doing this. So he switches and he goes. Um, he he creates the Zoltar character. Um, and I had all sorts of people. As soon as that hit IFE in San Antonio that year, we're starting to open. You know, people are loading in shows, getting built. All of a sudden, I'm going to the airport to pick up a friend, and my phone starts exploding. Did you see? There's another fortune machine. He ripped you off. He did. What are you? Are you mad? Are you? And I'm like, uh, I don't even know who or what it is. I so I don't know. I get back down to the convention center. I I'm looking at. It. I see what he's doing, and people are like, "Are you pissed?" And I'm like, "Why? If he does a good job with it, it's good for both of us." Why would yeah. I be pissed about that? In fact, I'm, maybe it's a little flattery. You know, I did it so well that somebody else, you know, came back in with their version. Okay, cool. Yeah, it just, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't make any difference. It'd be like a hypnotist going, oh, there's more than one hypnotist or a magician, God forbid. There's right. more than one magician. We've all got something different we're going to offer. I know he's done a handful of fairs. I think he did uh, Alaska and a, a handful around the way that I would have loved to go do, but he got them. Okay, great. I hope he did a great job. I got plenty of fairs of my own. There's so much work out there, and we all fight over like the same 50 fairs. It doesn't make any sense to me. Just work together. Yeah. yeah well, here's another thing. Everybody wants that big state fair. Okay, everybody wants in the entertainment industry wants to do the big state fair. Yeah, you know, I've done them. I've done them. I prefer not to do them because you you go to there and you're just a, another meat piece of meat on the rack or in the delicatessen there for that event. All right, you go to that little county fair. They treat us like gold. They treat us like gold. And that's why I say, you know, I just, I would rather work. Okay. Yeah. So I, instead of doing 10 days in one spot, I got to pack up and move in between, you know, right. but, but the bottom line is there. I would rather work because you're, it's so much more relaxed. And I, I say, you know, some of the, be the best fairs that I do, they were, they were all County fairs today. I only got, I only got one state fair left. Yeah. And, and, I, and, I, and I'm not pursuing any other state fair. I mean, if they yeah. come to me, I'll talk with them. I'm not going to turn them down. But that, but I don't pursue them. You know, you don't have to. Besides, I mean, think about it. Do you get paid more to do a state fair or do you get there to the county fair per day? It depends. I've, mm -hmm. I've had it both ways. But for me, it, it, I look more at it from a, a business standpoint of what does my route look like? Does the fair right. make sense? Um, and then I learned with, with the, you know, for an act like an attraction like yours, like a pig race, <clears throat> as long as they've got, you know, whether it's uh, on dirt or grass or whatever, there's multiple surfaces and whatnot. You can do what you got to do on. You can make it work. Sure. With the Fortune Machine, there's been a number of fairs over the, or especially early on. It's not so much anymore because we learned. But early on, we had fairs that were super interested, and there were a couple of years where I get out there, and it was all dirt, it was all sand, and Conjure is just on casters, 
we're working on making some changes on how that that operates but um in the meantime i get out there and i'm like how do i get the fortune machine out to the performance location from the dressing room sure dragging it through sand and then it, it you know became the question now when i'm standing at the trade show booth and when they're oh we really like this you know what's your rate um and then i one of the questions is always what from where you would have me in the dressing room to where, you know, or wherever we store conjure is ultimately the question to sure. where you're going to have me perform. What is that surface? Oh, it's, it's paved sidewalk all the way, or it's, it's asphalt all the way. Okay, cool. We can work with that. Oh, well, right. we're, uh, we're all out on grass. Okay. Well, is it hard packed grass or is it like, you know, that you like, what's it look like? Cause you know, grass looks one way when the fair starts and three days into it, grass. Three looks days very later. Different. Yeah, yeah, I, I can tell you it's, <laughs> In Ocean County, you know, it, we're on sand. I mean, we got grass there. They're soccer fields, but they turn into, with the amount of traffic, that becomes just a sand surface, you know, yep. after after three or four days. Yep. It's just and, worn away. And so we have to ask those questions. And there's fairs that we've ultimately sure. turned down because they don't, you know, and that's, to me, that's, um, I, I don't blame the fair. They, you know, if we can't go because they don't have the appropriate, you know, what we need. That's ultimately on me as the business owner to make sure that I make the modifications to the attraction so that it, it really is an all purpose and, and can fit everywhere. Mm -hmm. So listen, you know, we're now, um, we're now about a quarter of the way through 2021. What's your, you've been in this industry a long time. I'm sure you've seen some ups and downs. What's your mindset coming into this year, knowing you lost 47 out of 47 in 2020. What's your I, mindset moving forward? I I'm, I like the fact that there are fairs that are going are going on right now. Unfortunately, I think some of them may have started too soon or whatever. I pretty much don't see here in the Northeast a lot of events starting before until after the Fourth of July. I actually had the Fourth of July one of the, one of my old time Fourth of July events say, "Look, we're probably not going to go this year," you know, and you know they've lost four members of their fair board to the COVID, mm. you know? So, I mean, you know, again, the, the problem with being on fair board, the fair boards, most of them very rarely are young people. They're older people. So it's yeah. affected the fair boards substantially. Um, I'm hoping somewhere's, you know, like we're preparing to do the ocean County fair this year. Um, it's mid, it starts around the 14th of July and we're hoping that we'll be allowed to do it. I just read today that New York is going to allow amusement parks and venues and things like that. Yeah, I saw that from Carnival Warehouse published Carnival Warehouse. that Cuomo was, you know, uh, was loosening up restrictions. Loosening up the restrictions. So that's, the, you know, 33%. Well, if he's loosening that up on April, come 1st of July, we know how things work. You know, so hopefully that will increase to 50%. And if 50% sounds um, devastating, but if very rarely do fairs have 100% capacity all week long, True. all right? It's Saturday and Sunday. They'll probably have to sell pre-sell tickets and they'll, make, they'll sell out Saturday and Sunday. So then people buy for Friday, Thursday, and so forth. And that's what I'm looking there. It's the same with the ski industry here. Um, I'm used to skiing during the week, Monday through Thursday, usually very rarely do I ski on Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, because all the people from the city come and all the people that are working come and you stand in line at the end of the thing this year, all week long, there's a substantial more amount of people at the mountains because they can't ski on Saturday, they can't get, get tickets for Sunday. So they're coming out at a different time slot. And I'm looking at the ski areas, they're doing quite well. I mean, they're doing quite well, you know, because people want to get out. And that's the big thing. And that's what's going to happen. People, as soon as people can get out, they go because they've been locked down now for way too long. So I would like to say mid July, first part of August will be able to go into swing. I don't know that we'll be able to um, have full blown out, you know, numbers at, a, at an event. They may, they're going to have to you know, say, you know, you're not going to be able to put a hundred thousand people on a fairgrounds 
I mean, there's yeah. just no way, you know, they're going to have to put a limit to that. So that's where that I would say that's going to come into play. Um, vaccine, you know, is, is going to help. And that's, I mean, whether you like it or whether you're going to have it or not, the fact that, that by mid, mid July, first part of August, they're supposed to have enough vaccines for everybody that wants to have it. You know, I got my first vaccine um, two weeks ago. I go back next a week from uh, a week from uh, the Saturday or yeah, a week from Saturday. I go get my uh, second shot. Um, and I did that a because I like to travel and I'm out all the time. But those of us that are traveling across state lines, you may have, to, you know, th they put restrictions on your, you know, quarantining. How do you go do a fair if you're quarantined? If you got to get days ahead, where if you've been vaccinated, you're you're they're waiving that for most places, you know, you know. So that's that's going to for those that are in this industry, you're going to need to look at getting vaccinated and getting your help vaccinated. And I worked hard at getting my hack uh, my uh, my help vaccinated so that we will be able to travel from state to state this year. Sure. Yeah, you never know which state line you're going to cross. And, you know, if you go to a state, you know, if, if, if the fair is a private event, a privately uh, run deal, it might not be a big deal. But, you know, what about out in California? What happens when California fairs say we're going to open? But, you know, all of the, you know, when, when they tell the OC fair LA or whoever it is, everybody who works for you, even independent contractors have to have proof, have provide proof of vaccination, you know? Yeah. They, yeah. Those are the kind of things that are going to be coming down the pipe and, um, I, we're kind of, we're, we're right about the point here in New Mexico where they're starting to open up the group, the vaccine group where, where we could get in. Um, it's not quite at that point yet. So we'll, you know, we'll jump that bridge when it, it gets here, but it, you're right. It's definitely something to look at ahead of time. Cause you don't want to get a week before the fair and then find out and, and you're out of time. Cause it's, you know, a two or three week window in between each of the doses. Yeah. Yeah. You're looking at three weeks, four weeks, but, or like you say, they're telling you you have to be quarantined for the ten days before you can before you can uh, come into you know into the fair or testing, and the problem is like you say you, you, even today I mean our jumps are usually one day two days in between them I mean like I say I try not to do um, long jumps but I mean it's still we'll we'll go from maybe from doing a fair in uh, New York up by the Finger Lakes and drop down to by Williamsport Pennsylvania or I, I come out of uh, you know, Columbia County in New York to, um, I used to come out of Columbia County in New York to head to, uh, to, uh, York fair. I mean, now I'll be going backwards. I'm actually, I'll go York, um, Connecticut, and then to, to New York fairs yeah. back to back. So, that, know, so that presents an interesting, uh, dilemma. What if you have a state that says you have to be quarantined 10 days, you know, what if mm -hmm. Connecticut says you have to quarantine 10 days before, but you're coming, you know, three days prior out of Pennsylvania. Well, right, how, you're working. How, you can't possibly quarantine. It's not, you know, um, I, it's just going to be, it's going to be wait and see and figure out how those, those, uh, those jurisdictions and those governments, you know, play ball with that. And hopefully, um, if you've got the vaccine, <laughs> they don't yeah. tell you any of that. Who, who knows? I, I think yeah. that's going to be a, to I each, think you'll, you'll each, still have to be each their own. Doing a bunch of testing along the way. You know, you have to go get tested here and there. I mean, but, We'll do what we got to do to make this work. And again, that's part of that change. You know, you got to get used to this part of the life of change to meet what the world has come to, you know, and then the whole industry has changed and it will continue to change. Well, we may have to change our acts too in the, in the process, you know, certainly Condor fortune machine, you know, typical fortune machine has glass on, on the three windows mm -hmm. just because of heat. I don't mm -hmm. do that. I keep it, I keep it open. Um, but I, that's one of the things we're going to have to change. I, you know, I don't like it. I hate, I just hate the idea of it. Um, we started messing around with some designs on it and how it's going to look and I hate it, but if that's what it takes to get the process going, it doesn't have to be permanent. It might be for the next, you know, couple seasons, we got to do that. That's yeah. it's, if that's what it takes to get us back out on the road, then put the sink and plexiglass in the box and let's go. Right. I'm curious for a, for a pig race. What do you guys, because you guys usually have bleachers and whatnot. How do you set up for physical yeah, the distancing? Bleachers, the, the bleachers are a thing of the past. You know, okay. I mean, I, I had originally proposed to some of the fairs that were going to, to um, 
have us this year before they actually got canceled and told no, they couldn't have the events. You know, I was going to take, you know, hula hoops, take them out in, in, in front of the, uh, the, the show ring, put them six feet apart, spray paint around them, and just create pods around the, around the show area for people to stand in so that yeah. you have the separation. Um, I'm thinking about your, your box, and this is the way my mind thinks. You know, take, take the top off of your box. Just make it an open air. You put a screen up top so that the air can flow upward instead of just being, you can't get the oh, air yeah. flowing yeah, yeah. We're, we're we're looking at some options on that. Even on the plexi itself, on the on the sides, punching some holes up back here behind me, right? So that it'll vent a little bit and put some battery powered fans in it. Um, mm-hmm. Is it going to be ideally what Conjure is? No, it's going to change it. But you never know. I mean, the, I look at how we created the attraction in the first place, and it was I was a magician to start with, and I was like, I want to create a, a, a unique way to present magic. That's what Conjure started as. People would press a button, sure. I do a magic trick, I give them a fortune card it has morphed and changed into something I had no idea that mm-hmm. would happen. And it's been fabulous. And, and it would have gone to Australia for the Sydney Royal Easter show this year, but for COVID. Okay. Um, so it's taken me a long way. It's done a lot. So as much as I don't want to change it, I'm open to this might present an opportunity or a change of the character that is conjured that is really beneficial. And I'm not going to know unless I try it. Sure. So sure. Um, listen, as, you know, aside from everything else been going on with, covid and all this nonsense um how are you doing personally this year you you i mean clearly you're up there skiing but you hanging in okay yeah they say i just decided that you know that i need to just keep going and i that's the you just keep going you know you if you're gonna sit there and say i can't do it it's not happening you know i almost want to say this and i probably piss off a few people Piss them this. off, Dave. Piss them off. <laughs> okay. If you say, I can't find any work, I can't do anything, you know, you're lying to yourself. There's always something there, whether it's, like you say, me with the goats. I've also started another little side business. Um, I started buying these IBC tanks, these big square wipe tanks that you see, you know, for liquids that are for manufacturing and so forth. Yeah. I bought some originally to make hay racks out of for myself. Okay. Well, cut them apart, weld them together and so forth. Well, I did that and I made a few extra for people, but I needed, I wanted to get a better price. So I ended up buying basically a whole truckload of them. So now I got too many of them. So I started selling them, you know, one at a time, advertise them, you know, Facebook or uh, Craigslist or one of those things. And you sell them. There's always something you could always do something. If you're sitting there saying there's nothing to do, I can't do this. As they say, you're lying to yourself. Well, I think what happened was some people were reactive to what this COVID pandemic was, and some people responded to it. You know, reactive, of course, um, you know, means they're more emotional and they're not, you know, they're they're not really thinking it out. Um, For me, it was all about responding to it. And this, for me, it was binary. For example, you know, I could either dwell and be, you know, all sad about I've lost all these shows. I didn't get to go to Australia. Woe is me. Or I can say, I, I don't, I'm not busy all year round. Cool. I've got the six months I need to fix my ankle that's been broken for the better part of a decade. So I went mm-hmm. last July and I got it fixed. You know, sure. it's, I was reading Jocko Willing's book. I don't know if you've, if you ever heard of Jocko, he was a Navy SEAL, um, terrific. Mm-hmm. He's, he's kind of a speaker, a business, business guy now. Okay. Um, but he talks about, he's got several books on books on leadership and he relates his lessons from being a Navy SEAL um, and, and he said on a podcast once, I think he was on with Joe Rogan, where he talked about, um, you know, it, I was never more to, as a Navy SEAL, I was never more terrified than after I retired and I started doing business coaching and I went into a boardroom of like a fortune 500 company. He's like, I've literally gone overseas and been shot at by people who want me dead. Yeah. And I was never more scared than when I went into a boardroom. But as he goes on, he says, what's interesting to me is the same problems that we face as, as Navy SEALs. Um, you know, we face we're the same problems the board was facing. What, what are you, what are the questions around leadership? How are we designating tasks? How are we doing things like that? And uh, I just read a chapter in one of his books last night and, and he talked, relays the story of one of his men comes up to him and says, um, Hey, you know, boss, we, uh, we didn't get, um, we didn't get such and such. We didn't get this, I don't know, protective gear or whatever in. And he goes, good. 
and and the guy's like what do you mean good and he's like good they get now we don't have to now it doesn't have to be overcomplicated. we can simplify things we don't need all that gear anyway and uh so every problem was boss we've got this problem and his response was always good and it's a matter of uh you know oh I didn't get that job that I wanted. Good. Now you've got more opportunity to develop your skills and become more appealing to another employer. Uh, you know, I didn't, um, I didn't get the, uh, the pay raise I thought I should get. Good. Now you've got your opportunity to grow more. And that's what I felt like 2020 was. 2020 sucked. We didn't get to do all the things that we love doing. Good. It forced us all to adapt. You, me, every fair out there that had to figure out, okay, how do we do a livestock show virtually? How do we, how do we clean our facilities better? How do we change the flow of traffic? All these fairs and all these people in our industry who've said for years, well, we've always done it that way. Didn't get to say that in 2020. And to that, I say good, because it's going to make us a stronger industry. Yeah. And the ones, you know, it's, uh, the interesting thing is, my biggest growth was after 2008 um, in this industry um, when everything was collapsing and everything, the economy was going to the trash. Those years, I grew more and more and more. And what was happening was that the people that were doing the, in this business, and you've been in this business long enough, they were disappearing. They were disappearing because they couldn't make any money at it. They were complain. They said they couldn't make any money at it. Well, they were the ones that were complaining the years before that when things were really, really good. They were still complaining they were couldn't make any money, you know. And that's when so it was a cleaning out effect that happened. And it, those that survived that, and the same thing's going right now. I mean, there's a lot. Unfortunately, I see a lot of carnivals being sold. I see a lot of uh, vendor equipment being up for sale right now. So what it's going to do is it's going to open up a path for people that are stronger the strong ones to, to come back and stay there, you know, and in, in that, in this industry. There's lots of business lessons out there that illustrate exactly what we're going through. Southwest airlines is the perfect example. Southwest grew with, they started with three routes in Texas. And then as they started to expand and they got, uh, and they grew eventually what came to fruition with them is they would see a, a see routes that other airlines, you know, Delta would say, well, we can't afford to service this place any longer. And they'd pull out of a city. Southwest would look at that and say, not only can we do that, but we can do it for less. Yeah. And they would go in and they would take, they would eat everybody's lunch and they've been doing it for decades now. Yep. Where it's going to yep. be the same with us. You know, the, the, yep. the ride operators that don't survive this, well, Ridehoffer or North American or whoever, they're going to figure out a way to go do it and they're going to eat people's sure. lunch. And it's, and that's just, it's the nature of the beast. There's going to come a time when you and I aren't in this industry for whatever reason, and someone else is coming up behind us and they're going to, they're going to take the business. Sure. That's how it goes. Um, I, I just don't, I, I don't have time to be head down sad about what's going on. It's, it's been a very difficult year for everybody. I'm incredibly empathetic to folks who have, um, who've lost their businesses, who've lost loved ones to COVID. He, I've got great faith in humans and we move on. We're going to keep growing. We're going to keep doing. Um, in fact, I would argue that if you have lost someone to this pandemic, the best thing you can do to honor them is as this thing clears up is to go kick ass in life is to go, go build a business. If in, you know, if you've been sitting there scared, you you know, maybe you're working that nine to five and you're not happy. Well, maybe it's time to start that business that you've always dreamed of doing, you know? Uh, oh yeah. I say it, it, it make it take a risk. The worst that happens is it doesn't work out. Um, and I think this industry, we may see some fairs close, but I've also talked to fair managers who've relayed that, you know, Oh yeah, our fair closed, you know, for several years in 1947, we did, weren't able to recover from the world war II closures, but by 1953 or whatever, we reopened. Right. This, fair, this industry, we're resilient. We're a resilient bunch and, and we'll continue. We're going to continue being resilient. I'm curious, you've been working fairs for a long time. Do you have a favorite fair memory? Favorite fair memory? I had to stump you on one of these. Okay. I, I would say one of my, one of the, this is the, the one child um, that helped me with the designing of the skunk race and coming up with the skunk races. He, when, like I say, my kids were out there from the time they were four or five years old all the way up until they, they were, you know, out of college and into their own industry and so forth. 
And Tim, pretty much we could have dropped him off at a fair and come back a week later and somebody would have housed him. Somebody would have fed him. Somebody, he just has that personality that, you know, just gets along and so forth with everybody. We pull into uh, Woodstock Fair in Connecticut. Okay. And I'm backing the trailer into the, the house trailer into where the camper around is. And there's a helicopter coming in and setting up uh, right across from us. And like I say, he could get have anything he wanted on a fairgrounds without just, you know, people just gave him everything, you know. He had that smile. He had that you know, personality. I looked at him and says, there's one r- ride you're not going to get on to. Okay. Go home, get the other trailer, bring the other one back. Fair's on two days. It's only a four-day fair at that point. Day three comes. He comes into the trailer early in the morning. He goes, Dad, can you move the truck? Why? Because the guy over at the helicopter needs to get fuel to his helicopter. He says, if I can get one of these trucks moved, I get a free ride. <laughs> you know? He figured out, you know? There's, Clever. There's, and, and that's a family thing, you know? It's just... You know, so that's the kind of thing that I enjoy about the fairs. You know, do I have favorite fairs? Oh, yeah. Did I work? So I've, like I said, I've worked Dutchess County, Sussex County, the Big E and so forth. You know, I've done all of those. I still work, you know, a lot of, lot, as I say, we do have 40, 45 events, 47 events scheduled, you know, technically. And there's some, I like going to them. I like them. There's, you know, do I have a favorite? I enjoy you know, um, one of my favorite, I would say, is Washington County in New York. You know, and and part of it is because the fair manager up there, management up there, has hired a lot of you and me to the event. There's seven or eight ground zacks yeah. on that fairgrounds. You know, and there's no big grandstands there, which you know they have their demolition derbies and stuff. It's run in such a nice, laid back situation. It allows, and you know, we joke about it. There's a wine and cheese party, fine wine and cheese party every year behind the big trailer. You know, we get together, and I learned that from um, a gentleman. His name is Lee Stevens, Baboon Lagoon from years ago. He would have groups together, and we were first time I ever came across it was at the Illinois State Fair. He knew everybody. I was new coming into it. I gotten booked into the Illinois State Fair with the skunks and stuff like that. And he took. I'm going to lose you here. I'm gonna, if I'm just we still, we've still got audio. I think we're just losing video here. Yeah. I just say it's just hit low power. So <laughs> we're good. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, you know. And he taught me, you know, get together with everybody. You get to know everybody away from, you know, everybody doing their acts and stuff. And you can become good friends. Yeah. out there yeah my my favorite fair memories all involve other acts and and fair managers and just getting to go out and and break bread with them and and have a good time and um you know the experiences we have we you know we're none of us are in this making millions you know this is this no. is a passion driven industry none of us are on a have a number one song on billboard um although my friend coffee anderson's getting pretty close uh his stuff's pretty <laughs> impressive yeah, there's some but, there's some have done real well. But yeah. uh, but mo- for most of us, we go and we just love what we do, and we travel around to communities all over the country, and you know, eat eat their food and partake in their culture, and get to know them for a week or ten days at a time, and we move on and we we rinse and repeat. Um, I, I frankly think we've got one of the best jobs on on the planet. Uh, you know, I just love what we do. Listen, we're uh, we're just about out of time. That that was a quick hour there. I was really nice visiting with you. Before- it's good to meet you because, like you say, I've seen your face over the years, and like I say, it didn't until you made a comment about your about the fortune your- machine. It matched that's up. A, that's funny because I've met people before that at conventions where if I haven't had if I don't have the the box physically there. Um, or, or maybe that's where they finally, they go, I knew, I knew you from somewhere. Maybe they see me out at one of the ed sessions and then they see me at the trade show and maybe I'm, I'm in Condor and they're like, ah, that's right. You were at OC fair. That's where I saw you. Right, right. So listen, everybody who comes on the show goes through a little series of speed round questions. I'm going to ask you a handful of questions. You give me your best answer for each. You ready? Okay. Star Wars or Star Trek? 
Don't care about either one. Get off my show. Get off my show <laughs> right now. If you could have a guest role on any television show, past or present, what show would it be? I love Lucy. That's fair. Let me tell you something about Lucy, because we studied her when I got my television production degree. Everybody thought that Lucille Ball was kind of like this, you know, the, the dumb blonde kind of character. That woman could walk on set and look up at the lighting and go, that key light's out of place, move it. She knew where every light on that set should be. She was brilliant. Uh, next question. What's something that you've never been able to do well? Spell. <laughs> See, for me, it's singing. <laughs> No, Fair I don't enough. sing or dance. I mean, I, I know better than that. <laughs> Some of us know our limitations. You, uh, speaking of singing, you get stuck in an elevator and only one song is on repeat. Which song would you want it to be? Uh, <sighs> I used to drive people nuts with the song Dead Skunk in the Middle of the Road as a pre pre-show. <laughs> See, I don't know what I'd have to pick a song that I don't like. Like it would have to be "It's a Small World" because it would drive me insane. But I wouldn't want it to be one of my favorite songs because by the time I get out of the elevator, I would hate that song. Next question. Let's see. Uh, when you travel, what's one item you absolutely have to have with you? Ooh, my coffee. Do you have a particular brand of coffee you you like the most, or is it just coffee I, in general? I, I, Coffee mostly, but they say as I get older, the acid's killed me a little bit. So I use a, a half a half uh, calf type coffee just to keep the acid down. Got but it. yeah, no, I I have to have my coffee. Got it. Last question. This one I this one's brought to you by Poddex. Poddex is a company. They made these these decks of cards that are loaded with questions. And they, of course, once I started putting out stuff on Facebook, said, "Hey, I'm doing this podcast." All of the ads on Facebook are like, get this new microphone, get these new headphones, check this out about podcasting. And so I saw these and I thought, I'm going to grab uh, grab a set of them. One of the questions in there, and this is an interesting one. So you're the first person I'm asking. You can get reincarnated, but you get reincarnated as a famous landmark. Which landmark would you choose? Statue of Liberty. Oh man, I dig it. I really do. Why the Statue of Liberty? I think I know, but I'm curious why. Because it represents so much, okay, to a lot, so many people. That's a great answer. I may not be. I may not be able to ask the question again because I think you've answered, given the answer of all answers the first time out. It really does. When you consider all the people, like my great grandfather who came over on a boat. And uh, maybe it was my great, great grandfather, but, you know, they came in and there's Ellis Island and, you know, they're hoping for a new a dream of America and what it can be for them. So I think Statue of Liberty is a fabulous answer. David, listen, it's been terrific chatting with you. How can people get in contact with you if they want to reach out? Go to pitracing.com or you can go to my email, skunkrace at cheerful.com. That cheerful sounds crazy, but that's actually one of the first free emails long before Gmail, Hotmail, and all of those. And wow. I've had it way back then. And they're still around. They're still around. That's fabulous. That's fabulous. David Feimster, buddy, I really appreciate you being on the show today. Um, it was really nice to get to visit with you and get to know you a bit. Enjoy the Poconos and skiing uh, while the rest of us are just, you know, sitting out here in, in, in snow and cold in New Mexico, but not doing any skiing. <laughs> Thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. And uh, we'll cross paths somewhere here. Thank looking, you. Looking forward to it. You've been listening to the Fair Game Podcast. Air Game is a production of Robert Smith Presents. For more information, please visit robertsmithpresents.com.